May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I had a moment this week where I saw a headline that gave me joy. It's a rarity in some cases these days. But I saw this headline and I said to myself, this is it. This is a moment I have been waiting for where I can step up and make a difference in the world. And it may take some level of sacrifice, but I am willing to make that sacrifice. The headline said, Avocado oversupply has farmers begging consumers to eat more to reduce waste. I was ready. I was born for this moment. Sign me up. Those of us who love guacamole and avocado toast, we have been waiting for this. And if I can do anything in the world to reduce food waste and, and help provide for those who need, I will do that too. I will deliver avocados to whoever needs avocados. My joy and potential joy and happiness was very fleeting because a moment later I realized this massive avocado issue was not in Texas or Arizona or Mexico, it was in Australia. It's a long way to go to eat a lot of guacamole. So we will continue to give thanks that the avocado farmers in Australia are, are not wanting to waste these, but are finding resources and places to send them quickly so they, they don't just rot in the fields. But this headline appeared at the same time as I was reading this week's gospel lesson, where we have someone who is rich, who has an abundance of something, an abundance of crops in this case. And Jesus has some words for us about stuff. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. How many of us have generations of accumulation americans particularly but it happens all over the world where we have basements and attics and storage units full of things some of it can be repurposed and if you need some inspiration just watch one show on hgtv and you will find all the ways things can be repurposed some things we hang on to for nostalgia they bring us a sense of peace, a sense of good feeling, something, something that gives us a good memory. Some things we hang on to for a hypothetical someday, holding on to hope that one day we will need this or we know someone who will. And let's be honest, some of the things just we need to be like Marie Kondo and say thank you for your service and move it on out of our life. One of my favorite cartoons was in The New Yorker a number of years ago, and it had a, a man on a walker in front of an exceedingly full storage unit, and his son was standing next to him, and he says, Son, just think, one day all this will be yours. <laughs> pretty poignant. But Jesus is pretty blunt in this parable. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Anytime that Jesus starts a parable by saying there was a rich man, it's not going to go well for that individual. 
It is a rare use, though, for Jesus to use this as such a negative example. It is a bold move by Jesus, and we see how it plays out. The candor may be surprising, but it also may, may be exactly what we need in this moment. If we look at the gospel lesson as a whole, we don't get the full picture or the background on the original question at the very beginning. Divide, tell my brother to split the, split the estate with me. But it certainly sets Jesus on a path. I have to wonder sometimes if Jesus knew the background of, the, of that question and, and was like, yeah, I'm not getting into the middle of that, but let's talk, about, let's talk about what we have and how we accumulate it and how we value it and hang on to it. Now, to be clear, there is no biblical injunction against having a bumper crop. In fact, Jesus uses so many agricultural references and he uses the idea of a large yield from the seed as, as one of the more positive examples of, of, um, of, of growth of the kingdom of God. But saving for future needs is a pretty good spiritual practice, but also, I would argue, good stewardship of God's bounty. But planning for future use has to be balanced with giving glory to God and for caring for our neighbors who don't have the same means as us. There's plenty of examples in, in the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus would have used and Jesus' hearers would have known about giving a part to the poor, to leave part of your field available for those who did not have the means to be able to glean from that field. And there's also plenty of examples in that same scripture of who to give thanks to when you have more than enough. Those are all summed up by Jesus in what I call commandment one and commandment A. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The farmer, the rich man with his farming, demonstrates neither of those commandments. If you look at the, the way Jesus tells this story, the pronouns are I, me, my. It's about what is bigger and better for his own benefit and his own pleasure. And then he's told in a dream or a vision that it was all in vain. An interesting parallel, too, in the fact that last week we heard Jesus say, Give us this day our daily bread when we pray. Don't worry about next week or tomorrow. And in the same vein, what the passage that immediately follows this section is where Jesus says, Do not worry about your life and what you will eat and what you will wear. Jesus closes this story by telling us, telling his hearers then and now, to be rich towards God. But this, wasn't, this is not just about what's in our wallets. The whole purpose of a parable is to teach a lesson using a common image, to use something that people would, would easily grasp. If we take this parable and think that it may not apply to us because we are not farmers, maybe we don't think of ourselves as rich, we don't have to tear down one storehouse to build a bigger one, then we're only seeing part of the story. A parable is always about something bigger than the story itself. 
And it's not about what you have. It's about acknowledging what you have and what do you do with it. We have all been given so much by God. And one of the greatest sins we can commit is to forget that. To think that for a moment we did it all by ourselves without God and without the people God put in our lives. And I'm going to go out on a rather generous pastoral limb right now and just say that you know that. You know that, that you got where you are. You have what you have because of God and because of the people you put, God put in your lives. And for the most part, most of us live accordingly. But this parable, this parable is a bit like being reminded that we need oxygen to live. It's not something we can take for granted. We have those moments when we have to catch our breath, when maybe we're not getting enough oxygen or it is completely deprived, and we take that first gulp of air and we remember how vital it is to our very existence. It shocks us back to reality. I think there are two challenges to take away from this passage, and both of them go back to those two great commandments to love God and love your neighbor. So how can you be more generous to God? Where are you already generous towards God, and how can you do it more intentionally? And what do you need to do to move in that direction? And how can you be more generous and more rich to your neighbor? And it's not just about writing a check or putting cash somewhere, but about your time, your energy, your attitude, your outlook. What do you need to move in that direction to? I think it's important for us to remember that examining those questions and thinking about those things is not just about our own personal relationship with Jesus. It's about the world at large. Because we are witnesses to the world of who we are as followers of Jesus. Right now, in England, um, is the Lambeth Conference, which really is just a whole lot of church nerdery that if you want to get into, I'd love to, but not right now. It's where all of the bishops of the Anglican Communion are gathered together. They do this about once every 10 years or so, maybe to remind themselves why they only do it once every 10 years. Anyway, our own bishop is there. I can verify that. I saw him on a video yesterday when I was watching the Archbishop of York, a gentleman named Stephen Cottrell. And the Archbishop of York is the second highest ranking bishop in the Church of England. And he gave a talk to all these other bishops. Um, and I realized later that he was giving this talk right after lunch over there. I was fixing breakfast. He was doing this after lunch, which is probably like one of the worst times if you've ever been in a conference, especially if you've ever given the talk after lunch. So thankfully, it was highly entertaining and highly engaging. He talked about mission and evangelism. And if you have a chance to look it up on YouTube, I, I highly recommend it. He, he reminded the bishops who were gathered that the word evangelism has the word angel right there in the middle of it. An angel is a messenger of God. An angel is one who, in Scripture, tells of God in both word and action. So when we do the work 
to ponder and act on how we can be rich towards God, how we can be generous to God and generous to our neighbor. Again, it's not just about our own walk with Christ, but it's about serving witness to a world that so desperately needs to see followers of Jesus making a positive difference and a positive contribution. When we think about and when we do something about being rich towards God and rich towards our neighbor, we become evangelists. We become people who are bearers of good news. We are people who become bringers of peace and reconciliation. We become people of the incarnation, people who are the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in this world. It is what God has equipped us for. It is what God has called us for. And may God continue to give us the strength to do it. Amen.